Hey, welcome to Bethany West Seattle again. My name is Prentice. I get the privilege uh, to be the lead pastor here. Uh, I hope that you all have had a fantastic week, uh, hopefully better than mine. I've been sick uh, all week, and uh, hopefully was uh, hoping to feel better by this morning, but uh, here we are. Uh, and right after this, we're jetting out uh, to catch an 11-hour flight to Denmark. Uh, so uh, it'll be an interesting, interesting day. So uh, we're wrapping up our series called Seasons, and I've loved... Uh, this series of seasons, because it really talks about uh, the various seasons in our lives. And again, as Nikki prayed, a lot of you guys, we walked in with different stuff in our, in our, in our hearts, in our minds. Uh, and, and I really believe that we, we, we worship a God who addresses that, who speaks into that. And, and so as we talk about different seasons of our lives, may we know that it's Easter, it's the resurrection that respond to those different seasons. And so this morning, our text comes from Acts uh, chapter 1. Uh, and if you have your Bible, you can read it, uh, you can read along, or uh, you can uh, read on the screen with me. The word of the Lord says this, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father, the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. Verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Will you pray with me again? God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what you have to say. We thank you that in our seasons, we can look to you, and you respond with love and compassion, with hope and transformation. You bring life into what is death. You bring lightness into darkness. You bring joy into pain. And we thank you for that work. That is the Easter story. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, so for those of you that might know me or that may have worked with me, uh, I often, especially the, my family members and people that know me and, and have been around me for a long time, they know that oftentimes in, in communication, uh, I've often been described as direct. Uh, direct or, or, or uh, for lack of a better word, some people might consider me abrasive or, or sometimes rude. Uh, but I like to call myself pretty uh, efficient in my communication. Anybody with me? Okay, yeah, a lot of you guys. Okay, we, we can have these conversations. Uh, I like to call myself clear and efficient in the way we talk. Some people uh, might consider that rude uh, or, or abrasive. Uh, and to those people uh, that think that, uh, oftentimes my response is, well, they should get a thicker skin. Or, or they should be like me. They should communicate this way because if we uh, push through all the passive aggression, if we you know, stop beating around the bush, uh, things would get happened smoother, quicker, easier, and better, and faster, and all those things. And that's the kind of attitude that I have. It's my disposition to be, uh, again, what I like to say, 
clear or, or direct. And out of my clarity and out of my efficiency and out of my directness, I may or may not have had people cry in conversations with me. I don't mean to. And, and I always wonder, like, why is this person crying? I'm, not, I'm literally just having a conversation. And finally, I talked to a mentor. This was several years ago. Uh, and he understood this natural disposition that I had in this aspect of being clear or efficient, maybe abrasive in my communication. And he said, he said, sometimes when it comes to communication, even bigger than that, when it comes to relationships, that it's important that you put your own personal disposition, that you surrender your own agenda for the sake of the actual relationship. And whether that relationship, you know, this applies for all of us, whether that relationship is, is a marriage, a friendship, a family a relationship, uh, the moment that we just think about our own disposition, our own agenda, and even our own personal gains, is the moment that division happens. And we've seen that time and time again in our relationships. Now, this idea of needing to surrender our disposition in our agenda, in our personal gain, it's not just in relationships. We know that. We, we do this, hopefully we do this all, all, all the time in our jobs. Sometimes you have to think about the greater community, the company, the organization, or whatever it is. You have to put your agenda, your disposition aside for the, for the greater company. You do this in the classroom when you have group projects, when you're working with a team. That sometimes you have to put away your own disposition, your own agenda for the the greater team. We do this in our jobs, our schools. You guys might do this in parenting. And certainly we have to have this in politics, whether we do that well or not so well. I mean, you can be the judge. But oftentimes, it's the moment that we hold on to our own agendas that suddenly division enters. We see this again in our relationships and really all spheres of our lives. And here, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is pointing out to to the disciples. Now, now he's speaking to the disciples, the very disciples uh, that claim to follow him, to believe in him, to love him. That they are also holding on to a particular personal disposition or agenda. Uh, on one hand, these disciples are holding on to Jesus. On the other hand, they're clinging desperately to their own desires, to their own needs, and their own wants. And Jesus is making it clear, and he's saying, it doesn't work that way. Now, let me start from the beginning uh, for us to better understand what is happening and why Jesus is saying what he's saying. In the very beginning of Acts, it says this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, so he's, he's writing Acts. It's Luke writing Acts, and it's a letter to Theophilus. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, so after his uh, death and resurrection, he says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And spoke about the kingdom of God. And so what's happening is that Jesus, after his resurrection, he comes back to earth and he's just kind of hanging out. 
I don't exactly know where he's staying. It doesn't say, I don't know who he's hanging out with particularly. Uh, but at this very moment, he's, he's hanging out with his disciples. And it says that he was speaking about the kingdom of God. So if we ask, Jesus, what were you doing for 40 days back on? Or like, what were you doing? The response would be, so Jesus can speak and share and teach others, particularly his disciples, about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, his life, his death, his resurrection was all about the kingdom of God. It was God's way through the person of Jesus unfolding hope, salvation, and peace. It was through Jesus. And this is why the Easter story changes the entire, entire world. This is the kingdom of God. It's a new way of life. It's a new way of living. And this is what Jesus was sharing and speaking to his disciples. But it wasn't even just in Acts chapter 1. It was all throughout the ministry of Jesus. He was teaching others that the kingdom of God is very different from the kingdom of this earth. That is through the kingdom of God where the kingdom flips everything upside down. And the last shall be first. The weak shall be strong. The losers will be the ones victorious. Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God and inviting people into that new way of life, saying, okay, abandon this, leave what you're doing right now, and join on, join in in this new kingdom that is coming. Salvation is here. And I love what Jesus is saying. He's saying, all right, in order for you to be part of the kingdom of God, I have some commands for you. Now, before we get there, I want to unpack unpack that in just a moment. But I just want to focus a little bit on the disciples' response. The disciples' response from Jesus. Again, Jesus, for 40 days, he came back to teach about the kingdom of God, the message of God of Jesus, of himself, through his life, death, and resurrection, how that changes everything, how this is a new thing, that you can experience salvation, that you can experience shalom and peace. He's saying, I've come to teach you about the kingdom of God. And their response in verse 6 says this, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I can imagine Jesus kind of scratching his head and saying, where have you been? Have you been listening to anything that I've been saying? I mean, have you ever been in a conversation, and and I know I have because I've been the person to do this, that when that person is speaking to you, it might be a cool story, might be how something important, how uh, great their day was, and you want to respond so bad. You want to say something, you, you have something really clever to say, that whatever they're saying, it just goes in one ear and out the other. Like you're not hearing anything you're saying. And, and then all of a sudden, once they're done, you blurt out whatever it is uh, that you want to say. Like, you know, for example, if a friend was like, hey, I want to tell you about my dad, I got a promotion, and, and the promotion's going well, and, and, and my boss loves me, and, and all this stuff. And then you responded, well, and your response is, great. Do you want to get ice cream? Like, I don't know about you, but I do that all the time. Have you ever met somebody, just heard their name, and then suddenly, oh my gosh, what was that person's name? I do that all the time because oftentimes uh, we're so eager to, to, to talk. We're so eager to hear ourselves speak. We're so eager to say something because it's the most cleverest thing in the world that whatever that person is saying over here, we just don't listen. And, and I feel like that is the experience that Jesus was having. 
for the last 40 days, and even throughout his whole ministry, he's saying, I'm here to teach you and to invite you, to share with you what the kingdom of God is all about. And their response is, great, Jesus, awesome. I hear you. Uh, by the way, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and their response is about the kingdom of Israel. And, and if we read this quickly, you would think that those are synonymous. But those are two different things, two very, very different things. So you have to understand in the disciples' mind, they're still in this context where they're under oppression by Roman rule. Things are not good. In fact, things aren't getting any better. So their question has nothing to do with the kingdom of God and has everything to do with the current state uh, of their people, of the nation, and says, when will you restore Israel? Translation, the nation of Israel is a mess, Jesus. It's under occupation. We're being treated like second-class citizens. We're being forced to bow down to Caesar. They only have their agenda inside. Here's Jesus speaking so grandly about this new kingdom that is going to change your life, that's going to change the, uh, the course and the trajectory of the world. And yet their response is, great, that's cute, I love it, I hear you. When are you going to fix our problem here right now? They just want to get things better. They want Israel, the nation of Israel, restored. They want their enemies crushed. They want their freedom. They want prosperity. The same prosperity that Israel used to possess. And I want to say something uh, that might have you guys clinch up a little bit. In modern days, what they're asking is, Jesus, when will you make Israel great again? And this probably reminds you of a prominent political phrase today in America. Uh, and it should, because this statement, Jesus, when will you restore Israel, was a very politically charged statement. And for some, like today, it provokes hope. And for others, it, it provokes despair. And for others, anything and something in between. Uh, it's the same thing with the people of God. Uh, the friends, the disciples of Jesus... He had a variety of people from all walks of life. He had blue-collar fishermen. He had wealthy tax collectors. He had business owners. He had religious zealots. And yet when they asked, what will you do about the kingdom of, uh, of Israel? Will you restore Israel? When will you make us great again? Will you, when will you make us powerful again? When will you rescue us from this oppression of the Roman Empire? When? And each of them, this idea of restoration looked very different to each and every one of them, depending on who they were, depending on where they're from, what their job was, depending on their own agenda. So, so when God was saying, I want to teach you about something so great, this kingdom of God, their response was, okay, when are you going to fix my problem? When are you going to come through for me, focusing on their own stuff? And just a quick side note here. Let me just tell you something. As followers of Jesus, we only have one king. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you have, and I have, we have one king, one authority in our lives, one agenda. And that's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God alone. And sometimes, 
Sometimes that happens to line up with, with the political party on the left. Sometimes that happens to line up with the political party on the right. Sometimes that doesn't line up at all. But the point of the matter is, it's Jesus in the kingdom of God first and nothing else. No agenda. No secondary affiliation. Nothing else. Because I believe that God, just like God, is calling these people, calling us into something bigger than to achieve just that, our own agenda. And again, this isn't just in, in politics, even though this is very politically charged. This is in our own friendships, in your marriages, in your career path. We're just focusing on our own agenda, our own disposition. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here are my problems. God, will you fix it? Here Jesus is saying, I want the best for you. I want to rescue you, and I'm going to bring you new life, life everlasting. And then all of a sudden they're saying, I just want this to be done. I want this to be open. I want my problem fixed. The problem with being so internal, the problem with us being so internally focused that suddenly that divides. And we've seen this in our own communities, in our own families, in our own friendships. The moment that we're after our own personal agenda, it isolates, it hurts relationships, and it actually creates a bigger uh, us versus them kind of mentality. When we only focus on our own agenda, our own needs, it enables us to draw a distance between ourselves and the reality, and practically speaking, those that might look or be or come from a place that is different, particularly those on the margins of society. I mean, here's a point in case. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is for everybody. The kingdom of God is what's available and it's for everybody. The disciples response, okay, great. How about Israel? How about me? How about us and my group? When are we going to prosper? I'm not talking, you know, I can imagine, I'm kind of putting words in their mouth, but the Jews are saying, I, I don't care about them. I know that the kingdom of God is for, uh, for everybody, but because they were so focused on their own agenda and their own selves, they were saying, well, I don't really care about them. What about us? What about me? When are we going to be powerful? And I love, I love Jesus' response uh, in the next verse. He says this, and he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, translation, it's not about you. It's not about you. He says, right, it's not for you to know the times or dates. That's Jesus funny way of saying, look, look, it's not about you. It's not about your agenda. Ultimately, it's about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom's agenda and not your own. And then as he unpacks this idea of the kingdom of God, he says, now I give you particular commands. In verse 4, as we read, he says, stay, stay in Jerusalem. Now, now, why would he ask people to, his disciples to stay in Jerusalem? Now, what we have to understand about this context uh, is that Jerusalem was kind of home base for the Jews. 
It was especially throughout the Old Testament where they believed that the Spirit of God began, it resided, and from there, that's where it spread. It was like the place where, where God's glory dwelt. That's all over the Old Testament. And now what Jesus is saying is, again, in the same way, the Spirit of God is going to move from right here, from Jerusalem, from you guys, and ultimately the modern-day church. And what, what Jesus is saying here is that to embody a, a surrender, a, a posture of letting go of our own agenda, actually starts with you and with me. For Christians today, again, this is the church. It begins with us to model generosity, compassion. And what if we were the church that acted like the church, the church that Jesus called us to be, not to focus on our own agendas, even our own secondary affiliations, our own desires, but saying, okay, how do we want to be the church for the world? How do we want to gather to bless our neighborhood? How do we want to be and set vision and goals to to be a part of God's restoration into this community and not just our own individual selves? It begins with the church to embody. To not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. We we can talk about uh, how we can be just and how we can be generous and compassionate all day long, every single Sunday. We can talk about that. In fact, I, I try to. But do we live that out as the church? Or do we, by holding on to our own agendas, whatever that might be in our personal lives, in our relationship lives, that we do it so much that it ends up isolating, creating division, creating more of an us versus them? I mean, I don't know. I don't follow each and every one of you guys around every single day. uh, But I wonder if the answer is sometimes yes. I know for me, sometimes that is true as well. So he says, stay in Jerusalem, saying this is where it begins. It begins in the church. And then he says, not only stay, but to wait. Wait for the promise, it says, of the Father in verse 5. And what was this promise? The promise was in a few days, it says, that, they, that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. It says, in a few days, the Holy Spirit will come on you so that you can bear witness. And so the idea is we can't be the church. We can't do what Christ calls us to do in and of ourselves. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's the same spirit. And I think about this all the time. The spirit that Jesus is talking about here, saying to his disciples, look, I need you to bear witness to the world. But in order for you to do that, you have to wait here because it begins with the church and you need the spirit to empower you. And what Jesus is offering is the very same spirit uh, that raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same spirit that is promised a few days later. And what happened in a few days later, in the next chapter? The spirit came. It was Pentecost. 
And what did the Spirit do? It's interesting because if you read Acts chapter 2, it says people from different tongues and nations, they gathered. And once they were empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, they were able to communicate with each other. There were no longer barriers. There's no longer us versus them. And so the very same Spirit that brought Lazarus back to life, that brought Jesus back to life, also now creates a, a, a connecting of intimacy and togetherness through a people group that may have never been able to even understand each other in the first place. This is the Spirit that Jesus offers to, to, the, to all of us. And I wonder, and I look at all the division in the world, and I, and, and to be really honest, I look at the responsibility that us as a church and Christians, we have taken part, uh, not, not in bringing people together, but tearing people apart. And I'm saying, if we're supposed to be filled with that same spirit, what are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, do you believe that? And I have to ask myself that same question. We are filled with the very same spirit that brought Lazarus and Jesus back to life, that created community, that created fellowship amongst people that weren't even supposed to understand each other. And yet, we as people filled with the spirit, we don't experience that. And oftentimes the reason why we don't experience that is because we're so stuck in our own ways, in our own stubbornness, in our own agendas, our own dispositions. So he says, stay and wait for the Spirit. And then once you have uh, been empowered, once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he says, then you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I love this idea of witness. Witness in the Greek is the word martus, which we get the word martyr. And if you've been around the church or maybe you know, just knowing history, uh, the idea of a martyr is somebody who gives their life for a cause. And what's interesting about this word martus or martyr uh, in this verse, it's not a a verb, it's actually a noun. And and so I know oftentimes we talk about, well, love is an action. Love means you do something. Love means that you serve. and, And love means that you help change people's lives. And that is true. But here, to be a witness, to be a martyr, is actually a noun. It's who you are. It's the identity that we have when we are filled with the Spirit in order for us to let go of our own agenda, our own dispositions, and say, hey, I want to point you to Jesus, which brings communities and fellowship and languages and people from other tongues and nations, people from all different social life, different social economics, together. And that is the only... The only person, the only thing that can do that is the miracle of the Holy Spirit. And I really hope that as we live our lives, that we truly believe it's that same Spirit that resides in us. That gives us the strength to identify, okay, what are the things that I'm holding on to that creates more division, not more intimacy? And that can certainly be with God, because even throughout the New Testament, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you actually have to give up everything that you have. 
And maybe some of us, we're struggling with that because we don't want to give up everything we have. We want our own financial security. We want these particular dollar bills in our bank account. We want this, uh, full, this upward mobility. Instead of saying, and maybe God wants that for you too. I ask God for that all the time. God, make me rich. I can, you know, I can do it. That was a joke. But it wasn't funny, so I won't say that joke again. Maybe for some of us it is in our relationship with God that we need to surrender our own dispositions and our own agendas. Maybe for us it's in uh, relationships with others that we're just kind of, have you ever been told that you're just so stuck in your way? I, I know I've been told that you're so stuck in your way. And the more I hold on, maybe it's just my personality, maybe it's an attitude that I have. The more I hold on to that particular disposition, that own agenda, the further I'm going to be uh, in the relationships that I want to cultivate intimacy with. And so the question I have to ask myself, and for many of us, is how, how do I seek the kingdom of God even in my relationships? Even the way I pursue my job. Maybe some, for some of you, education. Maybe it's your job. And what Jesus is calling us to do is, you know what? I want you to be a witness. I want you to give up your agenda. I want you to give up whatever that thing that's holding you uh, further away from others and from, from God and to be a witness of God's kingdom in Jerusalem, which is essentially home base, to love one another in the church. Judea, close to people in your neighborhood, people that you might know in your community, bear the witness of God's kingdom. And then he says, not only in Jerusalem, at your church, people that you love, fellow believers, uh, but also in Judea, your own neighborhood. I mean, you live in your neighborhood for a reason, but also Samaria. And one thing that and I've talked about this, one thing about Samaria is that Samaria is a place that people wanted to avoid especially the Jews, because they thought the people that lived there were unclean because they were typically not Jews, not Gentiles, or were mixed, and they thought they were unclean. <clears throat> Jews, when they would walk from one town to the other, they would actually take the long route to avoid Samaria because they want to encounter any Samaritans. But Jesus says, even in the places you don't want to go, even to the people that you don't want to be around, Perhaps that is where God is calling us to, but yet we're so afraid or so unwilling to go because of our own agendas that bring us further apart, especially the people on the margins. Now, I remember, you know, for those of you that grew up in Seattle, not many of you, but for those of you that are around Seattle, you might resonate with this. When I was in high school, there used to be a neighborhood that... For, for me, back then, it sounded like a myth or like an urban legend. It's a neighborhood that you, you don't go to. I know things have changed because of, you know, gentrification, revitalization, whatever you want to call it. Things have changed. But back then, there was a neighborhood that you just, you, you, you don't go to. And, and that neighborhood is called White Center. Okay? And if you would have told me 
while I was in high school that one day you're going to move to White Center, because I live in White Center right now. If I would have been told that you were going to live in White Center, I would have been like, no way. No way. I'm never going to live in White Center. Are you kidding me? Like, I've heard about that place. I live in Mill Creek, okay? Like, I'm not moving ever to White Center. And, and could you imagine, you know, that attitude, that false attitude that I have uh, was completely me holding on to my own agenda. I will never move there. God, here's where I'm going to live. God, here's where I'm not going to live. Here's where I'm going to work. Here's where I'm not going to work. And sometimes Jesus has a bigger plan, has a different plan. And so this morning, the question is, what agendas, what dispositions are you holding on to? And the question attached to that is, is it creating intimacy, connection, fellowship with others? Or are your agendas and dispositions and your personal gains or whatever it is creating the very opposite? Is it creating barriers and division? Maybe God is calling you to somewhere that you may not want to go. Whether it's a job, a neighborhood, a move, whatever it is. Maybe God is calling you to a place that you may not want to go. Maybe God is calling you to a person that you don't want to see. In order for you to bear witness to God's kingdom. So he says, go. Go to Jerusalem. Go to Judea. Go to Samaria. And bear the witness of the kingdom of God. Man, this could mean maybe God is calling you to serve, to forgive. For those of us that have a hard time forgiving because of our own agenda, our own dispositions. Maybe God this morning is calling you to let go and surrender of that and to forgive somebody or to even seek forgiveness. I can just imagine Jesus saying, that's what the kingdom is all about. You need to forgive. It's about reconciliation. It's about loving. It's about serving. And sometimes our response is, well, did you know what that person did to me? Oh, what about that person? What about the pain that was caused to me? When are you going to help me? Translation, when are you going to restore Israel? We may not use those words, God, when are you going to restore Israel? But we say those in our own context. God, when are you going to help me? God, when are you going to change my life and make things better for me? And yet Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is calling you to forgive. The kingdom of God is calling you to seek forgiveness. The kingdom of God is, is calling you to cross social barriers like wealth, race, and politics. But this will require surrendering our own agenda for the kingdom of God. So as I invite the worship team back up, these are the things that I would love for us to reflect in what ways are we just holding on to our own stuff that it's creating so much division? And if you watch the news and maybe these are conversations with your friends, maybe it's on social media, we see this happening in real time all the time. 
But what if we as the church, being filled with the Holy Spirit, breaks that cycle and becomes even the first one? This requires courage. This requires humility to be the first one to say, I give this up, my my disposition, my affiliation, my title. in order to bear witness to the kingdom of God. And I just want to say the same spirit that brought Lazarus back to life, the same spirit that brought Jesus back to life, the same spirit that brought all these ragtag people together to speak the same language is the same spirit within us. And so what are we doing May we, with that spirit, have courage and humility to let go of whatever is causing so much division and pain in our lives because of our own selfishness, our own agenda. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm not saying don't set boundaries. I talk about that all the time. That's just not the sermon today. But the sermon today is what would it look like for us to just surrender? That means a phone call today. Maybe that means a conversation with somebody. Reconciliation. Repentance. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your life, death, and resurrection. The full display of the kingdom of God, of your kingdom. And may we be about that and that only so whatever agenda that we bring to the table, whatever division that we may contribute to, God, forgive us and help us to find another path forward. Help us to bear witness, not just into the comfortable places in our lives like Judea and, and Jerusalem, but even the uncomfortable places and to the uncomfortable people. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives in us. May we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, seek and only seek your kingdom. In your name we pray.